Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, Episode 5, the one about the Brexit strapline, webinar mistakes and Wonder Woman 84. Let's get right into the show. And welcome to a brand new video and audio series, Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. We're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. As always, my co-host joining me today, a man on a mission to keep marketing simple, is the voice of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. He's also the host, host sorry, of the Roger Vlog video series. I give you Mr. Roger Edwards. Hi, Pascal. How are you doing? I hope you've had a good week. And you are also a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. You're the host of the Content Marketing Studio podcast, Pascal Fintoni. Thank you very much for the introduction. Listen, thank you to you, Roger, for joining me again for today. I think it's criminal to have so much fun when you know <laughs> this is meant to be work time. Thank you to our audience, viewers and listeners for your support. As they say around here, this is a big one today. We've got lots to go through. So let's begin with This Week in the News. All right, let's begin with Coca-Cola, who is letting go of brands that are not working any longer, the so-called zombie brands, in an attempt to recover from the pandemic faster than the competition and indeed the global economy. And another big brand, McDonald's, is going back to advertising as it celebrates Return of the Mac. So McDonald's is launching a major new marketing campaign to mark the reopening of its restaurants after falling silent during the lockdown. Mm. With the absence of recovering revenues and the end of the federal scheme soon upon us, Roger, companies are looking to cut costs, in part by cutting jobs, sadly including marketing positions. The UK government is introducing a new strapline, Check, Change, Go, as the deadline for the UK leaving the EU approaches. Now, Netflix has won the opening battles of the streaming wars. The company Q2 earnings overreached and overachieved in just about all imaginable ways. The question is, Roger, will this success continue? This is an important one. YouTube is adding mental health information panels to its videos. Now, beginning this week, users who search for either illnesses like mental health, depression, anxiety, will see pop-up information and online tools. This year, podcast advertising revenue has predicted to grow over 15%. Now, this is according to the Interactive Advertising Bureau. The prediction, Roger, is that this year, the revenue will surpass $812 million in face of COVID-19. My goodness, that's a massive amount. And according to thenextweb.com, Chinese short video platform TikTok might be sold to a number of US-based investors. And now that's a move that could ease the concerns amongst governments about data and protection of its users. There, These were some interesting headlines, some kind mm. of hard-hitting news, weren't they, Roger? Mm. I mean... Last week on the show, we talked a lot about slogans, so I'm not going to dwell upon this too much, but that government one, check, change, go. Do you know, you've probably spotted it already, but there's a pattern to all of these government slogans that we've seen over the last 18 months to two years. They're always bite-sized three-word slogans like get Brexit done and now check change go and i think all the slogans they had during the covid crisis have always also been three word slogans yeah no i must say i can't be too critical because i'm a big lover of the rule of three i mm. use it in my training with uh, some of the um, alliteration that i use and some of the acronyms and so on but um i do wonder sometime whether there's a risk of oversimplifying something which is a lot more complex but I suppose you need to start somewhere you know check change go and then are you meant to then become curious about what is meant behind those three simple terms and go deeper? I think that's the case. And, and also, I think it's a little bit early to be saying check, change, go, because we don't actually know what to check yet, do we? Because they haven't really agreed what the rules are going to be after we leave the EU. But I mean, let's not get into a political discussion. <laughs> no, no, we, we, we'll move on from that. But I think you're right. It was interesting that you, you, you chose, obviously, this uh, content spotlight on slogan. And then sure enough, within days or at the same time, this came about. I, 
I wouldn't envy someone working in comms for government at the moment because they've got so many different messages to go out at the same time. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but uh, they must communicate clearly. And I think this is where perhaps on occasion that oversimplification gives you some problem. I'd like to explore, if you don't mind, I'd like to take your hear your view, Roger, about this news from Coca-Cola divesting mm. of those brands not performing. What, what do you make of it? I actually think it's probably a good thing, but you know, a massive, massive organization like Coca-Cola has a huge, huge house of brands, doesn't it? And like a lot of us, people will grow attached to each of those brands. And no doubt within the within the depths of Coca-Cola HQ, each brand and each sub-brand has its own team of people. And that that team of people will be fiercely protective of each individual brand and there'll be a lot of internal pressure to keep everything going and I guess that the Covid crisis like anything has has focused their attention as it's focused everybody else's attention and I think that sometimes it's a good thing to do a bit of spring cleaning which brands aren't performing reassess them do you know if if, if if you if you if you have to dump the brand fine if you have to tweak the brand fine but it's a good opportunity to focus and reflect and i think the danger is that you just let things keep going and keep going and eventually they they sort of decline on their own it's probably better to halt that decline before it gets too too steep I mean, for me, it was a reminder that it is a normal business activity to let mm-hmm. go and close and shut those uh, brands, projects, and so on. And I wonder whether, in a way, there's a reminder for all of us, no matter the size of the operation, to not worry. Uh, I mean, I would have a tendency, Roger, to be quite sentimental about business activities or even the marketing, content marketing. I would have difficulty letting go of a video series, for example, that is not performing. Uh, yeah. And I think that that's a difference between, forgive me, business decision and one which is more personal so i'm like you i don't think it's sinister far from it uh, i think it's just a reminder that that's part of the portfolio of decision making process that you have to go through as a business whether you let go of suppliers because again it's no longer part of your operations whether you let go of brands i think for me uh, bear in mind our specialism is a reminder of review the marketing activities and don't worry about letting go of one or two or three activities, no matter how emotionally attached you feel, if actually you can reclaim that time and energy and budget potentially to do something that would be more productive. Absolutely. Constantly refine your offer in, re- in respect to feedback that you get from your customers and also the effect it has on your bottom line. Right. Roger, let's slow things down if you don't mind and let's move on to our content spotlights. So this is the segment where each week, Roger and I pick one article, one video, one webinar, one podcast that just made us stop on our tracks, made us think about something a bit differently, and we bring it to the table. So Roger, what do you have for us this week? Well, Pascal, I promised myself I wasn't going to use an article from Marketing Week this week, but <laughs> I'm going to use an article from Marketing Week this week. It's it's It's... The headline is, customers' benevolence won't keep brands alive. We serve them, not the other way around. This article's written by Mark Ritson. It's quite controversial, actually. Uh, but I want to talk about it because it, it, it highlights something that all marketers should be aware of. But again, it's, it's a bit like what we were saying before about cutting back brands. Sometimes you let things creep up on you before you even realize that it's happening. Now, Mark uses an example of actually something that was in the news recently. There's a there's a restaurant owner called Tom Kerridge. Um, he was originally um, on MasterChef many years ago, but he's now gone on to become a, a Michelin-starred uh, chef. And he was complaining on social media, and, and his complaint got into the national press, that quite a lot of people were booking tables in his restaurant post-lockdown and, and then cancelling those tables without letting him know. And he had a right right good rant and and a lot of people would have thought it was a you know a a deserved rant um 
on social media, and, and it hit the headlines. I saw it in the, in quite a few of the uh, national papers, and and quite a lot of other restaurateurs agreed with Tom Kerridge. It's absolutely appalling that um, customers are not letting us know that they're cancelling. Now, my initial reaction was to agree with the restaurateur and think, yeah, it's not very good. It's rude, isn't it, that people would do that? They'd book a table and then they'd just not turn up, but they wouldn't cancel. But Mark Ritson's article basically says, well, hold on a second. No, it's, it probably is rude in certain circumstances, but as marketers, we don't know what's, what's, that what's happening to the customer, what the, what, you know, what, they, they could have had an illness. They could have come down with COVID. They could have they could have had been called away somewhere with a family emergency, and and he he uses this example to bring up this subject that he calls marketing orientation, and what that means is as marketers, we eventually sometimes fall into that position where we see ourselves as if we were the customer. And that's possibly what Tom Kerridge is experiencing here. He's thinking, hey, I'm a really good chef. I've got a fab restaurant. I've got a fab menu. And I've got a great location. Why would people do this? Why would people do this to me? But it's not about you. It's about serving the customer. And the problem is, is if you get yourself into that situation where you see yourself as the customer, then you possibly start making the wrong decisions for your brand because you make the decisions based upon what you as an individual would do, not what your customers would do. So Mark's saying, yeah, it might be bad that people have cancelled these bookings, but maybe you should have had a mechanism in place to charge them a deposit or, or some sort of no-show fee. Don't make it about the customer inconveniencing you because that's not the way brands work. It's all about how you delight the customer in return. And, you know, a lot of people listening to this might not agree with that argument. But and and as I say, I actually agreed with the restaurateur the first time I read the article. But actually thinking about it now, I think there is that point. You've got to remind yourself you're not the customer as a marketer. You're not the customer You've got to always ask the customer what they need. And in this circumstance, he didn't know why they didn't turn up and maybe he should have asked. I have an Im- a lot of sympathy for the situation, circumstance, um, but also for me, that has to be the number one challenge and probably the biggest challenge when you work in marketing and any form of business development, which is to truly understand the customer and walk in their mm. shoes Mm. And I always say, you know, I wish I could know and feel what it's like to go maybe on a website for the first time. You know, I wish I, I wouldn't know what it's like to open the box for the first time. As, as When you are the very inventor of the website experience, when you are the person who's designed that restaurant experience, you are the least likely able to, you know, take steps back yeah. and be critical and see where there could be some improvement. How many times have you heard, Roger, of people doing customer survey and being surprised by the results? Surprised by the result in terms of information that they didn't know or never considered? Yeah, I mean, you, you could boil it down like this. Let, let's say you've just, you're, you're redesigning your website and you come up with one, two, three different designs. And let's just, for the sake of argument, said there's a red design, a green design, and a yellow design. And you take it out to research and all the customers say, we like the green design, but you're sitting there thinking, well, hang on a second, I prefer red, so I'm going with red. That's market orientation. That's where you do what you would think is what the customer wants, but you're basing that decision upon your own personal choice, and you're not the customer, so you need to listen to your customers and go with the, the, the green design. And I think also this article, listening to you, Roger, reminds me of um, something that we need to try and do a lot more than perhaps we can, which is always because there is a cancellation or because there is a no-show, the reaction shouldn't be to be frustrated and to think of, you know, again, that negativity. But I think you mentioned it, flip it and say, well, what has happened? Yeah. Perhaps something quite significant. And I think if you do that cerebral gymnastics more often, A, you'll be in a more positive frame of mind, but of course you'd be more likely to actually get in touch and say anything we can do to help or do you want to rebook and, uh, and whatever. But um, it's not easy and, I, and I'm glad you bring it up because for me that has to be 
I've been in the world of marketing since the mid-90s and from the travel industry all the way to manufacturing, all the way to professional services. And really, really understanding the customer is something that is so, so hard. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. But you are not the customer. Your customer is the customer. We should never forget that. Thanks a reminder. Now, Roger, I'd like to continue actually, a little journey in the world of webinars, online conferences, and virtual experiences, which I think we've been touching on in the different content spotlights. Uh, only this week, I attended a webinar. Sometimes I like to be on the uh, on the spectator side, if that makes any sense, Roger, just yep. to give me a break. And there's a platform called On24. I don't know if you've come across it before, On24. No. It's kind of an enterprise solution for people who like the big brands. You know, we're talking about big high street brands who want to provide online conferences and virtual kind of experiences to their resellers, to their customers, and so on. It's really quite, quite um, rich in features. Their VP of marketing is a guy called Mark Bernstein, and he's the one that delivers a lot of their, their tutorial on how to use On24. He's a self-confessed, listen to this, webinerd. He's a webinerd. Webinerd. <laughs> I just loved it, you know, and I, I was thinking, yeah, you can be a web, webby newbie or webinerd. So he's a webinerd. He loves all things webinar, and he invited people on these mailing lists to something called 10 Common Mistakes to Avoid in 2020. Now, typically, Roger, I don't go for those titles. I think that's something you mentioned yourself, yeah, where the listicles, you know, the kind of numbers, and also that when there's a slight negative angle, the 10 common mistakes as opposed to 10 things to do to get it right, I tend to, but I trust Mark and I trust the way we nerd. So I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll go. And as you can tell by the way I'm telling you and the way I'm smiling and in my voice and so on, it was the one of the funniest webinar I attended. The title actually should be 10 Horrible Things, 10 Horrible Things That Happened to Me, and I yeah. Wish It Doesn't Happen to You. So I'm not going to go through all 10 in details, but if I just go through the list and you can just nod and smile and laugh as I go through them. In a way, I think Mark was having a bit of a go at guests on webinars. Oh, right. A lot more than maybe the people that would deliver and the host and so on. That said, so his core message, which I think you and I, well, I know you and I explored, is just because it's a webinar, just because it's just you in your spare bedroom with a laptop, don't underprepare and don't underestimate the, the amount of commitment to the event. Mm. It's similar to if you were to go to a physical venue. Yeah. So, um, 10. Number one, test Test, test everything you're going to use on the day. You're going to be using slides, you're going to be using videos, you're going to use a poll, you're going to use a Q&A, the chat room and so on. You've got to test everything for two things. If something goes wrong, you know what to do about it, but hopefully you can also do remedy. But he says, don't just turn up on the day and hope that it's going to go well, even more so if it's a new platform for you as a guest or as a host. Number two, no rock star arrival. So that builds on to number one, which is, and I think on this one, it was very clear, he's addressing the guest. If you're a guest, don't just turn up at five to 10 for a 10 o'clock webinar, minimum half an hour earlier. You would not mm -hmm. do that, I hope so, if it was a physical event because you have to travel and usually, um, I'm sure, Roger, you do that. You go to a venue, you try the mic on, you try the clicker, all those things. So no rock star arrival. Number three, be on brand. Where possible, claim the, the virtual space with your colors, your logos, and so on. There's limitation, but make sure that it's a truly immersive experience, and so on and so forth. Uh, number four, which I don't see people do often enough, at the beginning, give people a tour of the platform. Think mm. about it, Roger. If someone went to a physical venue, there will be a form of, of meet and greet for them to know where the restrooms are, where the croak room are, where the networking bit's going to happen. They will be given the agenda for the day. You know, there will be all manner of orientation. Do the same for your virtual guest. Two things. It's good customer care. It also gives you a chance to warm your voice and so on and so forth. Number five, make sure that you show your face. And I know that there's been some time, Roger, where you've been on, online where it wasn't required. But he says, you know, with regard to the experience, this is about video format. Mm. And find a way 
to said find a way to be happy with your face it sounds awful doesn't it <laughs> but find a way to get past essentially the fact that you're online face uh, for radio face for radio <laughs> <laughs> and, and more importantly make sure that when you do do um the webinar or the virtual don't look at your face so be happy to be online but don't look at yourself because otherwise you you, you cut you cut the line of sight and so on number six uh, avoid what he called toxic slides this is still nonetheless a um an event as uh, as in you know uh, presentation event it's not a um business meeting mm. so avoid complex graphics and avoid too many words it sounds very very simple but again there lies a problem roger a webinar takes place at home on the laptop. This this mm. is the same environment where you've been busy a moment ago creating maybe a, a document or a board report and that kind of things. Be careful. You know this mm. is not the environment. Um, number eight, which I must say I don't do enough, have backups for all your kit. So, for example, <laughs> if the laptop was to crash, what is your backup? If the Wi-Fi was to go, what's your backup? So it's almost, you know, remember the old days of the um, Dr. Pepper adverts? Mm. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, everything. <laughs> so can you make a list of the tech that you, you are reliant on? And have you got a plan B or C? So he was saying, for example, I've seen people do that more often now, probably because it's happened to them. They joined the webinar on the second laptop as a guest. If you ever go on, on the uh, on the webinar or, or virtual event, Roger, and you see in the list of attendees someone called guest, it's actually the backup for the for the presenter. Ah. Kind of interesting. And and for, uh, plan C, if you if you like, would be if you haven't got the second laptop, would be to use your mobile. Um, number nine, extend the journey. So extend the journey after. People tend to be pretty good, Roger, with regard to pre-event communication and, and that kind of things, but post-event is important. Do you want to, on the day, invite them to another webinar? Do you want to point them to content on your website? Do you actually have a hub where all the other sessions are, are, have taken place and find a way to extend the experience? Number 10, and he was addressing here the sales team, that could be the same individual, of course, if you run a uh, micro business. But make sure that the attendees are then segmented into different groups. Don't mm. treat them the same way. A very, very important reminder. So instead of getting really getting the thank you for attending message on uh, mass, perhaps those who interacted with you in a Q&A session could be looked at as your A-listers and be looked after differently, even get some swag. Then you have the B's listers and the C listers. So using segmentation and the CRM after the webinar was important to him. But mm -hmm. again, the manner and the uh, how joyous it was to listen to someone sharing the horrible stories of what had gone wrong. Uh, I was so pleased Ashley did go ahead despite the title giving me you know reasons to maybe think that it wasn't quite for me. Uh, these are these are just. I mean, when you actually go, when you go through them, you think actually these are pretty obvious, aren't they? But again, maybe it's because a lot of us have been quickly rushed into using more online tool, tools and techniques like this that there is that uh, that thinking. Oh, it, we'll, we'll just be able to either wing it or we'll just be able to trust the technology. But yeah, you're absolutely right. How many times have you been to a conference and you yourself were stood on stage at Upreneur Summit? last year in front of 350 people and your radio mic broke down oh yes and they, i they, forgot that you know they had to come up on stage and give you a handheld mic and that you know you you coped incredibly well with it but it wasn't what you wanted you wanted to be able to use your arms and be expressive and you can't do that when you've got a handheld mic so in all the ways that you would have backup plans in a live in-person conference like that you've got to assume that things can go wrong in a webinar but it, it's interesting when you said 10 common webinar mistakes i thought you were actually going to include one which would have been about the 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 post the the actual content of the the webinar because um you know, there's that age-old presentation technique, isn't there? Tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you've told them. But I seem to go to a lot of webinars these days where it's tell them what you're going to tell them, 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 tell them for about five minutes and then sell, 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 sell. And uh, I don't like those sort of webinars. No, and in a way, I'm worried that the term webinar is going to start to get hijacked by that poor experience. 
So recently I was asked to uh, do some coaching on webinars and I said, you know, we're going to, we have to start to, to use um, different terms because there's an association now that is quite negative, isn't there? Mm, mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, some people now, when they get invited to a webinar, they think, oh, I'm not going to that. I'm just going to get sold to. Mm. You know, a, a webinar is another piece of content and, and it should be an educational piece of content. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't sell, you know, but give people the content before you get into that. And and uh, and again, this 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 preamble that quite a lot of webinar hosts build in. You know, they just lead up to it, lead up to it. And I'm sitting there thinking, for goodness' sake, just tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So what I thought you want you you would enjoy this one because, of course, you, you're so busy on stage, both physical and virtual. Now, Roger, time is against us, so we must move on onto our next segment. So, Roger, welcome to this week's Marketing Tech and Apps segment. Every week, Roger and I choose two apps and online solutions that make life easier as marketers and content creators. I'm just curious, once again, Roger, what have been your picks of the week? Okay, this is this is interesting. I, I have a love-hate relationship with Instagram, Pascal. Um, I quite like the the platform and, and and you know there's some great photographs out there and I and I love to see what you know people are taking pictures of their travel experiences products behind the scenes you know just everything it is a nice platform but I do find sometimes find it quite frustrating I like stories and I'm quite interested in Instagram TV as well um, and I came across this website it's called desktopify that's a great word isn't it desktopify and it's actually a complete sort of recreation of the Instagram app, but it's on the desktop. Right. So you've got a you've got a lot more space, a lot more space, and it also allows you to upload videos to your stories. It also allows you to upload videos to IGTV, and because you've got more more space to play around with, if you play in the hashtag game, you could have hashtags saved on your in a word document and you just copy them into your into your post so i've suddenly found that this desktopify has sort of rekindled my interest in instagram so it's a great thing to to uh, look for it's it's one of those what do you call it? it's like a widget in um, chrome mm. a chrome add-on i think they call it and and actually i also thought i would mention one of the things that has always annoyed me about instagram is that you can't hit return at the end of a sentence and then hit return again and have a space between your paragraphs. They all sort of clump it all together. And you've always had to find some nifty little apps somewhere else on the internet to add those spaces in and, and without having to put lots of rogue full stops in. Well, actually, Instagram fixed that now. You can actually put spaces in between lines, which to me is just much more pleasing on the eye. So thanks for doing that, Instagram. The second app, and this isn't technically a marketing tool, actually, but obviously our, our lives have changed with COVID. We've, we've been locked in for a long time. And now, of course, we're, we're starting to go out. But one of the things I've been doing a lot more of whilst the lockdown has been in force, has been walking. And I came across this app. Again, it's for Android and iOS devices. It's called Strava, Strava Walking, Running and Cycling. And basically, it's just a nice little app that you take with you. It's in your pocket. It measures the number of steps you take. It's got this great GPS feature so that at the end of your walk or your cycle or your run, you press a button and it downloads a map of the local area, presumably from Google Maps or something like that. And then it plots a nice little red line showing you exactly where you've walked. I just love that. It, it, it's nice to actually be able to see where you've gone and the distance involved. And it works out calories and elevation and all of those sorts of things so it, it satisfies the inner geek in me <laughs> because you know we're two geeks and we've got a marketing podcast but anything that I can apply to other parts of my life and fitness and fitness instruction has always been a part of my life I love an app like this because it, it just brings out my inner geek Oh, that's smashing. Thanks very much for all that. I would definitely look at those. So, Roger, this week I want to go back to curation. You know I'm a big fan of curation. 
yeah as a content marketing tactic for a number of reasons want to build obviously you're understanding what's happening around you but also to show to the world that you're well connected well researched and build your reputation in a nice sociable way mm. as opposed to just pushing your stuff but the challenge of course is to find content that is going to connect with you and your audience at times sometimes can be against you so i've got two that may make life a little easier they're both web-based mm -hmm. i don't think they've got an app version or more version but i could check that the first one is called contentgems.com gems as in the precious stones mm -hmm. contentgems.com think of it as your virtual assistant that can go around the web look for the gems, those kind of kind of content that can really, really kind of hit the mark. So the way you do it is you set up an account, still free to this day. You create profile using keywords, and then literally once you press go find, it will match your keywords to popular content on social media. Now, of course, popularity doesn't mean quality, mm. but at least it's going to take a lot of the uh, legwork and a lot of the lion's share of having to be the journalist and researcher out there. And the good thing about it, you get a, a, a preview of the, the image, you get a preview of the text just before, particularly if it's um, an article. You can also filter by just saying, I just want videos, I just want infographics. So you can also filter by type, you can filter by recency. And then within Content Gems as well, you can save and time it, schedule it on Buffer, Hootsuite, and many other uh, platforms. So this virtual assistant has been um, a boon for me, really. Now, I hasten to add, you're going to find that a lot of it is quite US-centric in terms mm -hmm. of content, but that could be just sheer volume. But perhaps, I don't have the data, Roger, whether we have less content creators in the UK, I can't be sure. But you can fine-tune your profiles and keywords. One thing you must not do, Roger, with this platform is agree to the daily digest. Yes. Don't do that, Roger. Honestly, I did it at the beginning. I thought the apprentice sorcerer, you know, from Fantasia, Mickey Mouse, you know, with the buckets of water coming in. So I would say go on Content Gem yourself when in your diary you've kind of created that time where this is my time to curate and then share on social or to do a roundup of the best of the best, whichever your term is, but don't use uh, however tempted it might be, the dailies and weeklies, because your inbox would be just full of content. <laughs> and in fact, it's very, it becomes very intrusive. Uh, I think it's more you know, down to you. The second uh, curation tool is something called podchaser.com. As the name might indicate, this is about podcast and podcasting. And mm -hmm. podchaser.com allows you to actually do two things. One is to follow, obviously, your favorite shows and favorite pod podcast creators. But what is lovely, they can be organized into playlists. Yeah. So I normally would listen via Stitcher, maybe SoundCloud, maybe Spotify, but usually those platforms allow you to organize yourself and organize your listing beyond maybe categories. This one, you can go down to episodes that can be grouped together from different podcasters. Yeah. You can obviously group podcasters into themes like marketing, sports, um, food, that kind of things. And of course, you can share your listings with your audience. So. As you know, I favor video um, podcasting, but I'm a great consumer of podcasts as audio, and I'd love to share it on. But again, it's been like YouTube. On YouTube, you can organize your findings into playlists. I couldn't find a tool until more recently that could do that. But Podchaser is just a wonderful addition, again, to the tools that, that you have that can allow you to be a good curator, but also to allow people to find, again, your your best of list and, and that kind of thing. So here you go, contentgems.com and podchaser.com. Fantastic. Shall we move on to, I know, one of perhaps your favorite segment of our podcast, This Week in History. Let's do it. So, Roger, let's go back 155 years ago. On July the 20th, 1865, a Frenchman named Pierre Lallemand designed and patented the first bicycle in the U.S., but received no recognition for introducing the invention that soon became ubiquitous. And in 1903, Ernest Fennig, a dentist from Chicago, became the proud owner of a Model A automobile when the Ford Motor Company sold its first car. The car featured a twin-cylinder internal combustion engine. 
fascinating. In 1959, Edward's cult classic, Pline 9 from Outer Space, premieres. It was called, at the time, one of the worst films ever made. 1962, the Telstar communications satellite sent the first live TV broadcast to Europe. The bird was used to send TV programmes between the United States and Europe. In July the 18th, 1968, Robert Noyce, Andy Grove and Gordon Moore incorporates Intel in California to build microprocessors. The first one, the 4004, was released in 1971 for use in calculators. Last week we talked about the launch, Pascal. This week, July the 20th, 1969, Eagle, the Apollo 11 lunar module, successfully lands in an area of the moon known as the Sea of Tranquility. And it was that one small step for man and that one giant leap for mankind. So, much further later, on the 25th of July 1990, Microsoft Corporation reports revenues of more than one billion for its fiscal year. But, as you can imagine, history will prove that this growth will not stop there. And July the 21st, 1999, Apple introduces the iBook laptop, the first mainstream computer designed and sold with built-in wireless networking. Wow, that was some interesting one there. Just quickly on the iBook laptop, so are they mm. saying that 1999, which is not that long ago, I know it's uh, last century officially, but not that long ago, this was the very first one which had wireless networking. The others mm. had essentially wires. I, I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, you had to plug them in. You had to plug them in. Wow. And let's go back to 1959 and just talk about Plan 9 from Outer Space for a moment. Um, quite honestly, it is one of the worst films ever made. But it, it, it it's one of those films, Pascal, which is just so bad that it's actually funny. And I think that it, it was... It says Plan 9 from Outer Space, so you immediately think horror, for, uh, science fiction, but it is actually more of a horror film. And they had Bella Lugosi as the main star of the film. And of course, he's famous for the very earlier Dracula films. And, and it, he died into the production. So rather than recast the actor and, and refilm the shots, they they actually just got somebody else to dress up, and they and, and got the got the actor to almost like pull his his coat and, and and sort of half cover his face, hoping that the audience wouldn't notice that he wasn't Bella Lugosi. How they thought they they could they could get away with that, I don't know. But in a way, uh, Edward as a um, film producer, director, whichever term you want to use, that was just his style at, yeah. at the time. Was not um, immortalized by Johnny Depp? Actually, a, a movie about the life of Edward. I think he probably was, yeah, absolutely. I think they explored, obviously, his way. Uh, I think he was probably quite uh, delusional, uh, deluded as a filmmaker, but got on with it. Um, <laughs> Blind Nine from Outer Space, the worst film ever made. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But go and watch it, but go and watch it. <laughs> what is interesting about this segment, I think it's purely accidental that I think pretty much every single week we managed to find something about a Frenchman. And I want to reassure our viewers and listeners <laughs> that I'm not making, or you're not making a special effort. It just so happens that through our research, we stumbled upon something uh, like that. But um, in terms of the um, automobile, you know, the Model A, I remember even my dad telling me about this because it was so significant at the time that you know the um, Ford Motor Company had kind of created a car that was really powerful and reliable and was working well. And that person didn't really want a car, he just wanted a faster horse. <laughs> <laughs> no, very, very true. Okay, well, that was immense fun. I like, like that segment. But can we now move on to the next segment, our creator's shout-outs? So in this segment, every week, Roger and I give uh, some of our creators in our local networks and communities beyond or sometimes the borders of the UK, of course, a shout out to kind of applaud and praise the hardware that goes on, usually behind the scenes, about crafting this amazing content. Roger, out of interest, who do you have this week? I've been doing a lot of um, sort of reflection and thinking about speaking recently, again, because of the COVID-19 crisis. 
I haven't been on stage. I haven't been doing live workshops. Just like everybody else, it's all been online. And I've been reflecting upon all sorts of things. Should you do live video? Should you do some pre-recorded? And that's got me thinking and looking at other speakers and, and just looking for tips. And I came across a podcast by a lady called Sarah Archer, probably about six months ago. And she's actually a stand-up comedian in her main job that's what she does but she's using the techniques of stand-up you know the yes and formula and that and that sort of thing and the art of telling stories to effectively make herself a better marketing presenter and it's a really good podcast the episodes are quite short sometimes it's an interview but mainly it's just her sharing ideas that she's picked up from being a stand-up comedian and I, I just love that you know that the experience that she's been she's able to bring and I think it's very important to you know if you're not a stand-up comedian try not to be or try not to tell jokes in your presentation because quite often they'll fall flat but having listened to her podcast I understand a lot more about how to make presentations and talks funny without actually telling jokes and she's a great big fan of those sort of um, situational awareness humor that you can build into a good presentation and the second one again has, has come from this sort of me looking around for ideas to to just to improve my speaking and I came across a podcast which has actually been around for a hell of a long time there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes of this so now I've found it I'm going to binge on it obviously it's called the moth podcast the moth podcast and basically the moth is an American thing and it's people come on stage and they tell stories now they're not again they're not stand-up comedians but they tell stories, and, and some of them are very humorous. Again, maybe situational comedy and that sort of thing, or observational comedy. That's another another way of doing it. And, and some of them are just telling stories of personal experiences, you know, how they met their wife, how they met their um, partner, how they climbed a mountain, you know, how they first drove a car. Some of it, you know, initially you think, well, that's going to be a bit mundane, isn't it? But it's not the subject matter that interests me. It's the technique that they use to deliver it. And each one only lasts probably between six and 10 minutes. I've never heard one that's longer than that. And just by listening to this, you can, you can hear, I mean, you, you, you're a massive fan of storytelling and the, you know, the hero's journey and act one, act two, act three, that sort of thing. And, and the moth to me encapsulates all of those storytelling te techniques into one podcast. Wow. Well, listen, I, I'm certainly going to look into that myself, mm. but you making reference to technique gives me a wonderful segue to my two content creators shout out. In okay. fact, Roger, I'm going to cheat with you. There's four people, right. but they come from two content creation efforts. So uh, as I was kind of gathering my thoughts and noting, jotting down, you know, who recently uh, impressed me or, or just, you know, I was just very pleased for them, is I just almost it revealed itself, you know, the frog, frog kind of cleared. And I discovered that this week, almost randomly, I've chosen two video podcast, truck podcast with two host, co-host, if you right. will. So like us, a duo or a duet, I never know which one to use. The very first one is uh, Brain Bites right. by Marcel Sturk and Darren Winter. And like us, they have a bit of an international element to their duo. So Marcel is from the Netherlands. Darren is actually not far from uh, from where I live in Durham, south of the region, and they actually were the the host of a um, podcast which ran for quite some time called Marketing Unplugged. Mm -hmm. I actually was good, um, fortunate enough to be one of their guests, and recently they announced that they were doing the Coca Cola move of we're going to change. We want to we think there's there's a better way for us to use our time, but also to add value to to our guests. Mm -hmm. And they've gone, they've gone for a short-form video podcast called Brain Bites. And the format and the technique is lovely because they've gone for you know, the music and the animated intro and they've got the segments and so on and so forth. And what they do is they take one kind of hard-hitting business topic. You find uh, recently I saw Darren would read out maybe an article or would just, you know, I prepared a statement of sort, quite uh, challenging. Mm -hmm. And then they spend 10 minutes reflecting and literally challenging themselves about something that they perhaps have not thought of before. 
okay. get the brain to bite, you know, to kind of get busy. Get it. And it's just a lovely format. It's a, it's it feels crafted. It feels kind of thought through. And uh, they've began pretty much at the same time as us as well, which is just coincidence. So I thought it would be lovely to give them a shout out okay. and to wish them the very best as well. The next video podcast series is called the Mobile Creator Podcast. Mobile Creator Podcast. Two hosts again. We've got Glenn Malcohy and Courtney G. Jones. Again, international duet because Glenn is from Ireland, I do believe, or certainly spent a lot of time there, and Courtney is from Seattle. And as the name would indicate, Roger, the Mobile Creator Podcast is all about that video journalism using mobile technology but bringing high-end productions. The reason for that is both Glenn and Courtney come from a TV and film production background. Mm -hmm. And with that in mind, I'm sure they can't help themselves to bring the high-concept production, thinking about series, thinking about you know guests, appearance, and so on. And I just love the production of the technique of the show. The music choice is excellent at the beginning, the animation, the way they go back and forth between the two of them and so on. It was just a, a pleasure to listen and, and watch them. But again, I just thought, ah, interesting. Another series, video podcast, podcast with two with segments and so on. I'm not saying that, you know, you know, I need some reassurance, but it's nice not to feel so alone in our pursuit, uh, in a crazy journey as content creators. I'll have to check both of those out, Pascal, definitely. Excellent. Listen, um, I hope that we've not taken too much time away from an important segment for Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, which is film marketing. So, Roger... Today, the film that we've chosen, you and I, is Wonder Woman 84. Right. Definitely. Scheduled to be released many times by Warner Brothers. We've been be kept hanging. Let me remind you, Roger, the journey of Wonder Woman 84. Okay. First release date, December 2019. Then this was changed because of the Star Wars release. I was clashing. It was then say, oh, actually, what we'll do, we'll bring it forward for you lovely fans to November 2019. Then they said, actually, now we've got a few things to sort out, so we'll release it in June 2020. But actually, uh, now we're going to do is push it till August because of the pandemic. Actually, do you know what? It'll be October 2020. So... Um, according to the latest news, the world premiere, which we across, is you know as far as we know now, October 2020. Oh. For a project of any kind, whether it's marketing, film, or whatever, this is not great, is it? No, no, no. I mean, will it ever get released? Well, the problem that you have, Roger, is that now you've got so many movies all piling up near the end of the year. I mean, I did a bit of um, I did a bit of a, of a recce, but you know, you've got so many movies now. You've got Mulan, you've got Dune, you've got Bond Twenty Five, got Bill and Ted Face the Music, you've got Black Widow, you've got Kong and Godzilla, you've got West Side Story, the remake by Steven Spielberg, which is really anticipated, and Tenet as well. Or- yeah, you're right, yeah. Uh, and and a few others out there. It's going to get a bit crowded, and I hope it does. I'm a fan. Are you? Yeah, definitely. I want to see it. I want to see it. Do you know, I mean, I can remember the TV series of Wonder Woman um, from back in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, can't even remember what the actri- actress was called that played Wonder Woman. But I'll... Linda Carter, that was it. That was it. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm giving myself a slap for forgetting that. But it, it was always that sort of she'd, she'd, she'd have a look round and she'd do the little twirl and the the big bang and the explosion, a really cheesy special effect. And of course she changed into Wonder Woman. Um, it's funny because I knew we were going to talk about Wonder Woman this week. I, I actually went to see if I could find any old episodes on YouTube. And uh, I came across, uh, it was an episode from the third series, which was actually broadcast in 1979, believe it or not. And it was called The Phantom of the Roller Coaster. And, and I actually remember watching that as a child vividly, because obviously she it takes place in a theme park. But now I'm a geek, of course. What I hadn't realized is that the, um, that the majority of the theme park footage that was included within that episode was actually lifted from a different feature film which was called 
roller coaster, which which um, was which starred George Siegel, who was one of my favourite character actors from that time. And and as a result of that, my wife and I searched out for roller coaster the film and watched that the other night, and it was great to see it. And of course, all of that footage that ended up in Wonder Woman was originally in that film. And that roller coaster film was was filmed in sensor round. And if you ever went to the cinema, they had a tiny little vibrating microphone in in each seat just to make you feel as if you were actually on the roller coaster. So that was a little bit of a tangent, but bring it back to Wonder Woman now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, through again, uh, I, I we watched a series in France, uh, I would say the early 80s, mid-80s. Yeah. Mid I mean, all, all bit they were filmed, you know, from the mid-70s to the late-70s. I think the popularity of the TV series carried on for well into the 80s. And yeah. I wonder whether... Cause, I don't know about you, I wonder. I wonder <laughs> why they chose 84 for Wonder Woman. So uh, as a reminder, the original character, I think, in and around the Second World War, yeah. um, for a reason which I think was around not clashing with the Marvel Universe, mm -hmm. the Wonder Woman of 2017 was in the First World War, and that yeah. would go straight into 84. And, and I always kind of wondered why 84. Do, do you have any views or insight into that? I, I can just, the only reason I can think is there seems to be a little bit of nostalgia for the 80s at the moment, doesn't it? Doesn't there? Uh, I, I don't know whether it's a, a 30 years in the future thing. Uh, it's a bit like we were talking about Back to the Future last week and, the you know, Back to the Future 2 came out and then 30 years later was 2015. There seems to be that 30-year thing, doesn't there? So 30 years ago ish 19, 19, 1984 1985 bit more than 30 years but it's around there there's that just that nostalgia for shoulder pads permed hairstyles you know um vivid colors uh and it it, it just feels v very wonder woman-y to me I think also for me, uh, design, film design, but also marketing design point of view, that mm -hmm. gave them so much to choose. I mean, I have to tell you, I really, really connected with the artwork of the posters, yes. teaser content. Yeah. So as a reminder, Roger, you know, the trailer actually was released December, early December 2019. Yeah. That, you know, almighty um, music. Uh, remind me again, because I know you're a big fan. What was the music they used for the trailer? Blue Monday. That's right, by New Order. I mean, can, can I, I just stop you there? Please, I've got, go I've got a bit. I've got, I've got a surprise for you, Pascal. Yeah, I'm just going to reach down here. This, can you see this? Yeah, that means DLP, okay. is it? Yeah. Now I'll tell you what, because some of you will be watching this, so you can see. Some of you will be listening to this. This is this is the original pressing from 1984. The original pressing of Blue Monday. And it was it was it was only ever released as a single, but it was only ever released as a twelve inch single. And it, and it's got this very, very iconic design. It was almost like a floppy disk. Can you see the yeah? So you take it out inside, and there you have it. I dug this out specially this morning. Blue Monday, the original pressing. Uh, well, if anyone of you are listening audio only, you may want to just you know fast forward to this bit to see um, you know the, the LP or the twelve inch. Of course, if you're over the, uh, uh, under the age of thirty, you have no clue what Roger's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, I was—I did think we should play the music on the podcast, but then we'll get a copyright strike, so we can't do that. <laughs> uh, even if we try and claim the fair use uh, <laughs> uh, angle. But I remember when the trailer was released. So, uh, Roger, every Saturday morning, um, I have a routine where I go on YouTube, and there is a channel called Kino Check. Yeah, they, they do essentially a compendium of the trailers of the week or whatever. And I watched that. It's my way. Sadly, I don't buy magazines anymore. Maybe I should go back to those. Back in the days, I used to buy Total Film and Premiere and all that kind of things. So when the Wonder Woman kind of landed, I watched it and I put the sound so loud because that track, you know, just made it. So, so I think there was a wonderful design. So the reason I'm saying this, Roger, is I feel for the marketing team. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, not only do you have to keep cancelling and whatever, and I know that when it comes to the fans of both DC and Marvel Universe, there's a mountain of goodwill and so on, but you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. Um, so to, to give you an idea, they've been promoting and talking about Wonder Woman 84 since 2018. 
yeah. uh, every year at the San Diego Comic Con. It's almost like a ritual, yeah, for all the big kind of um, uh, geek style movies. You know, they talk about it. Then there's all the press. You can imagine, that, you know, year after year, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And then, of course, apart from the trail, we've had nothing. Even though at early March, you know, there was already the start of the pandemic, the Warner Brothers studio still went ahead with the campaign. Now, I didn't see the campaign. I just obviously researched it. But in the US, they had a hashtag 84 to WWU84. So they did the 84-day countdown to the release of Wonder, Wonder Woman back at the original date yep. of uh, would have been June, I would suspect, from March till uh, 84 days later. So that Twitter campaign obviously still went ahead and led to nothing. There's just, you know, something something off. Now, the reason why I have some faith about October 2020, to take your, your point earlier, is that every year, October is, on the 21st of October, is Wonder Woman Day, which I know you'd yeah. partake yeah. Uh, with your yeah. very special outfit. Now, as, as you know, <laughs> why 21st? Because legend would suggest that this is when the character was first released uh, in the comic book format. So I'd like to think that to give the marketing uh, team something, you know, a hook, I think they need to go for the, that 21st of October, uh, if, if they can at all. I think I hope so, and and I agree with you. There are too many films getting postponed now, and we're, we're building up to you know. Is it better to launch a film, I don't know, direct to video or direct to streaming, and find some way of making it more more profitable? You know, charge people thirty quid to watch it, like you would if it was a family going to the cinema, because surely it can't be good for the studios to all of a sudden be launching seven or eight blockbusters over the course of a few days because that will that will eat into their revenues anyway so you know yeah, it would because i mean the idea i don't know what the solution is i don't know because i mean of all the movies i've listed earlier i'd love to see all of them but i'm not going to go to the movies 10 times in the space no. of um, two three months rest of the year so we're gonna to have to make decisions but you're right maybe they could do a bit like uh, of the the star wars you know when it was released in the 70s if you buy the family tickets you get the streaming you get a copy of the blu-ray now there could be a pack a family mm. pack where they could really um, make it a sense of again a sense of event but um it is it is a concern about uh, you know these delays and and what it means to the, the willingness for the audience to go and because the danger Roger as you're pointing out is this which is I'll tell you what then I know it's other movies but I'll still wait for it to be streamed so in fact they've gained nothing yeah absolutely right absolutely right now I, I, I'm like you I think I would be prepared to pay you know cinema prices to watch Bond 25 at home as opposed to having to wait another year. I, I don't want to wait another year for Bond 25. I want to see it. So I'll happily pay the going rate. So, you know, studios, come on. Let's get let's get it out there, please. And just out of interest, you would pay to own the uh, the copy, the digital copy on your on Netflix or on Amazon Prime, whatever. Yeah, but you know, at the moment, you know, you can you can rent a video on iTunes or something like that for Nine ninety nine. Now that's fine. I could I could invite fifty of my friends around and we could watch it for nine ninety nine. They need to come up with some way of of replicating the revenue that they would get from a cinema where fifty people would pay nine ninety nine. Uh, but I'd be happy with that. I'd be absolutely happy with that as long as I got to see the film this year. <laughs> absolutely. So. <laughs> regarding with regard to this uh, segment, film marketing and Wonder Woman eighty four. I, I really, really like the campaign that yeah. they've put in place. It's just heartbreaking for them and for the fans that it's not pulled through. But you can't fault you know, the the, um, the presence at events such as Comic-Con and so on. So really engagement with, uh, with the audience, their social media campaigns with the hashtag 84 to WW84. Yeah. The styling and the, the, you know, the, the crafting of the imagery and the trailer and the music and so on, there was just some... some some really some some good work there because on balance is it fair to say that the dc universe is not as popular or forgive me not as successful as the marvel universe in general i don't know pascal i don't know um 
Personally, I feel that the the Marvel universe is, to me has become a bit overbearing. Um, I, uh, my wife and I did watch Aquaman not so long ago, and we realised in the first twenty minutes we hadn't a clue what was going on. We thought we were coming to this film completely fresh, um, but of course you had to have watched, and we'd missed a couple of the films that led up to it. So we felt that that impinged upon our enjoyment. So possibly DC's got a bit, bit of an advantage because they're earlier in their life cycle and people maybe find it a bit more accessible. Whereas if you want to watch the latest Marvel film and you haven't watched the previous, goodness knows how many there are now, you literally have to go back like you would go back to the first episode of Game of Thrones. You have to go back to the original and work your way back to date. I think that's that's a very very fair comment. I always felt as well that DC tended to be um, more kind of adult and listen to me. I'm talking about superheroes, people yeah. flying around in capes <laughs> and so on. But I think the manner with the storylines and, and what they explore was always a little uh, more darker. Yes, uh, as opposed to Marvel, which is you know this is the family outing, Marvel's yeah, family yeah. outing. Um, I mean, if you think about it, you know, one of the surprise success, I wasn't surprised, but the the critics were surprised by the success of Joker, mm, uh, mm. which is obviously part of the, the DC universe. Mm. And they, they were even tempted to go for a sub-brand DC Dark to yeah. be able to do things like Joker. And um, so, so I think, you know, the... Wonder Woman will have it has its audience. It has an audience, I think, which is back to people used to watch in the seventies or grew with it. I think there's some great message, always will be, but some great messages through this this character. But um, yeah, I'm sure that whilst you and I are kind of discussing it uh, from the comfort of our homes, there must be some tough meetings at Warner Brothers HQ. I'd love to visit one day. And, uh, you know, well, we wish them good luck. And we, we just hope that October is it and there's no more delays and pushbacks. I'm with you on that, Pascal. And thank you so much for listening and watching Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. Please subscribe and leave your comments in the usual places. He was Roger Edwards. I was Pascal Fintoni. Until next time, go out there, make sure your marketing is done right. Thank you.